crafty, isn't it? Well, yes, I suppose that's the point of it, really. Well, I think this is an excellent way to start the podcast, Rob. <laughs> because for the benefit of our listeners... Um, so where did you start, quickly? We, well, we, we started recording, so we might as well start the podcast. And I think, the, for the benefit of the listeners, we are in our new office in the Tet Park, in sunny Bognor Regis. We are. However, the new office has now been dismantled. Um, and Dr Warwick is currently rebuilding part of it. It's the floor ventilation system. And much to my surprise, he's rebuilt it quite well. Yeah, sorted. Well done, Rob. <coughs> Next week it'll be the ceiling. I might, uh, I might edit out a little bit of that, but broadly speaking, we'll see what that sounds like in practice. Um, I'm not sure if you can hear it, but I'm still full of cold, so this might be um, quite a strange nasally coffee sort of recording. But okay. Well, and maybe just... don't get too close. No, I shall, I shall sit further away than I would normally otherwise do. Um, please do sit as far away as you need to, Rob. <laughs> I'm blaming you, really, because I was, um, I was thinking when it started, and it was after we did our video recording last week. Ah, so yes. I think it was the requirement you had of me to walk around the entire building that I managed to pick up some bug as we were walking around the four floors of the tech park. But well, that was it, doing a video recording for the uh, film club that we yes. started. But maybe more on the film club in a separate podcast, maybe yeah. on the next season, because we are now talking about um, international uh, experiences mm -hmm. and international experiences uh, in terms of our teaching and classroom practice and this was the last one of the six that we planned wasn't it for this particular season it was um, so I suppose at some point we also need to think about season two but maybe more on that at the end perhaps we can get our listeners to uh, <coughs> email in to uh... anyway um, international teaching hmm. or teaching international students um, I can't remember whose bright idea this was to discuss. Um, I think it might have been mine. It might have been. Not that it matters. No. But um, had you got some thoughts about the sort of areas in which you wanted to um, range through, cover through? Well, I, I thought the thing that would interest me would be the issue around what does it... Because a lot's been written about in working with international students, but what does it say to, about us as as um, as tutors and as lecturers? You know, how does it, how does working with international students come to change us? Okay, I thought it'd be a different angle to talk uh, talk yeah. with that. About. What about you? What sort of? Um, I was interested to think about uh, the discussion that's very live in the university here at the moment because we've got um, quite a significant cohort of Chinese students mm -hmm. and I was reflecting on the fact that sometimes we talk about international students particularly here I, mean, I am talking about Chichester and, and recent practice and I find myself thinking we're talking about international students, but actually what we're really meaning when we talk about international students is that large cohort of <coughs> Chinese students. And I actually find myself thinking, what about all the other international students, particularly those international students I've come across in class from the first year over the last couple of weeks? Because 
we have a lot of international students who are not Chinese. Yes. And uh, I think there's a danger of generalisation and a danger of um, being quite unclear by using the term international. Yeah. That was a point I wanted to dwell on as well a little bit, actually, you know, how we do treat them perhaps as a uniform group, but actually the work is to find the individuality yeah. within each of them. Absolutely. So, how do you think it changes us then? How, how do you think it's changed you in, 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 in the class, in the classroom? Well, so I'm a middle-aged white man, uh, lived in West Sussex um, most of my life, apart from a few years uh, away. So, in some respects, I, I pitch up to, uh, to work, I, I, I go into the lecture room um, with all of the biases and ways of looking at the world. And um, what I think is interesting is that working with, um, working with international students, it's a way of holding a mirror up to myself, a way of m me trying to understand my, my way of understanding the world. So at least then I can have a way of actually realising that and doing something about it. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's quite, I think that's, that's, I think that's quite important. And how, how do you think we would notice that in terms of your teaching practice in, in the classroom? How, how do you think your students would notice that mirror being held up? Um, I'm not sure in any scientific way that they would in the sense that uh, they would uh, say, oh, we can tell Rob's been with some uh, international students because he's completely different. I don't think it's like that. I think it's a way of sort of me understanding uh, a little bit uh, I'll give you an example I was I worked with a um, postgraduate student and uh, in, in enormously able <clears throat> and I was saying well you, you you need to be a little bit more critical uh, in in how you're developing your argument and uh, she went a little bit quiet and I, again I made the point using say, the same words but probably in a slightly different order and again, slightly quizzical, and uh, she turned around to me and said, well, of course, in, in my culture, the issue of being, about being critical is a difficult one. And um, it's difficult because actually we, um, we respect and pay a lot of attention to about working together. And the idea of being critical is almost like an attack. Mm. So that got me thinking, you know, when I say the word critical, what does that mean in terms of my way of looking at the world? And also perhaps um, the, a more Western world way of looking at the world. So I thought that was quite useful. It helped me realise and to look at the world, even look at the word critical in a slightly more critical way. Yeah. Yes. Or in a slightly more nuanced way. Slightly more nuanced way. And yeah. I think, yeah, I can understand what you mean by critical. And that's an interesting point. Um, funnily enough, about two hours ago, I also used the word critical with, with a class of first years. Um, it did have some international students in it, but not very many. Um, and I think that if I visualise the snapshot I mentally took of the faces looking at me when I used the word critical... I don't think 
that your experience of that international student is unique. I think mm. some of the home and um, UK students also find the use of the word critical challenging. Yeah. So I ended up sort of unpacking it a little bit, unpicking it a little bit and talking about all sorts of other things around the idea of criticality, um, mm. argument, <clears throat> being rational. Da, da, da. Um, so I don't think the international students are alone in that, Absolutely interestingly. Not. But it made it, for me, it made it more vivid. Mm. It made it uh, in a way that I could almost understand viscerally in that conversation I had with the student. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, what about other changes or critical points, or I've used the word critical, um, meaningful points or meaningful incidents have you um, found yourself noticing? <clears throat> so, the other thing is we have, this was a few years ago, I was working at a different university and uh, a student, uh, I was... Um, supervising him for uh, again a postgraduate um, postgraduate uh, research degree and it was to do with project management <clears throat> and uh, a couple of things a couple of things about this this but the first one was how we how we sort of exchanged um, emails so um, <clears throat> and it's to do with status mm. so I quite like the idea of oh everybody called me Rob yeah and I and I feel a bit even now, ten years since I got my PhD, I still feel a bit hesitant about putting calling myself Doctor Bob, you know, or Doctor Warwick. I, I know it doesn't feel right with me. But um, so with this uh, student Mo, I I said, well, you know, just call me Rob, and um, and he would once or twice in the meeting call me Rob, and then he'd write an email to me, and it would be dear respected, dear respected sir, and you know. It kept happening, and I one, you know, two or three times, I say, look, just might call it Rob, and then it dawned on me. It dawned on me the fact that, from culturally, from a cultural perspective, this meant an awful lot. This was really important to him, and I was, I was, I was almost guilty of a coercion, really, in asking him to be less formal with me, mm. and then <clears throat> sort of realised that actually that's not a good idea. That you know. We, you know, our our engagement with each other would stand the test of time if we did a good piece of work together and we got on well. It didn't. It it certainly wasn't about being called Rob or Mo or or whatever. Did, did, how long did you work with them for? Did you work? Was it a year, two years, or couple, a couple of years? Was that still the case at the end of the two years, or had it shifted? Had it evolved into something else? I had evolved into something else, but I subsequently had an email from him, and it came. You know, this was a long time after I sort of finished with him, and they, and of course, it came back, dear respected sir. So uh, it was something very, very ingrained. Yeah, um, that was important. I think that's um, something uh, something I share in terms of experience. I had um, some work doing some supervision with some um, Middle Eastern students mm. and that situation was there and mm. I, I hadn't really consciously thought about it uh, apart from actually I was conscious in terms of I wanted to find out from them what I should call them mm. so 
I communicated with them by way of introduction because this was all electronic. And I said, um, please call me David, but I'd like to know what I should call you. Yeah. And then all the messages came in and in reply. And most of them, by and large, were dear sir or dear doctor, although I'm yeah. not actually a doctor. But that was their assumption. So there was loads of assumptions on their part, yeah. as well as the assumptions <coughs> I made. Um, but they came back with a whole range of different forms of address that I should use for them yeah. across 15 or so students. And it was fascinating from, on the one hand, one or two people quite happily giving a, uh, a first name equivalent uh, and one or two giving the sort of full name and title, <laughs> yeah. which I then used in emails and communication with yeah. them. Having, having, having done that, you had nothing yeah. to do other choice. Well, no, exactly. But... Um, in a way, I didn't want to um, start off from a failure to understand the point of address. And yeah. it was fascinating that a group of students who were in a relatively s local geographical area came back yeah. with lots of different versions. Yeah. Um, but equally responded in lots of different ways to what I'd asked them to do. So that sort of, that sort of uh, experience of... Uh, not testing assumptions necessarily, but your word, the bias thing, is um, mm. one I share, I think. And I guess I've we just talked through a couple of vivid examples with our sort of home students. Those th those those things are there, but we don't notice them so much. And at least yeah. you know, working with international students, it's made it almost tangible that we can actually engage with those sorts of ideas. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and that I think does reinforce your sense of that mirror. I had one or two students last year, UK national students, who called me Sir for quite a few weeks. Mm. But I think the weight of everyone else in the class just finally pushed them over to the position where they stopped doing that. Yeah. Um, although one did maintain it for a bit longer, but actually when I talked to him about it privately, it was, it was one of those funny conversations. They actually said... Well, to be completely honest, I'm really dreadful at remembering names, so <laughs> that was that was why I was doing it. Um, and uh, I, I had some sympathy yeah. with that. I will call you sir because I have no idea who my tutor is. That's absolutely fine. I guess one of the things from our conversations so far is it made me realise that we're talking about small groups, and mm. and you know that's the theme of all of our podcasts. We work with small groups, and. I don't know what it would be like, but you know, standing in front of a hundred or two hundred people, I'm guessing this, you know, these, this would be all very, very different, wouldn't it? And perhaps not be available for, yeah. for to, to actually notice. I think that's a good point. And although I haven't got a massive amount of big lecture type experience, um, that experience I did have in Portsmouth um, was that. It was completely different. Mm. Those those sorts of issues were much less apparent because of the the crowd in front of you. Yeah, um, you were dealing with sign-in sheets. You were dealing with printouts. You you weren't using people's first names necessarily for questions, mm. particularly not in the early stages, because mm. it was impossible to learn ninety hundred students worth of names. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think that that experience will be completely different mm. if either of us went back to that lecture-type yeah. teaching. One of the um, experiences I had a few years ago was working um, 
it was with a few, with, with about, I don't know, four, three or four uh, Chinese students, again, on a, on a, on a postgraduate programme. And uh, I like to get people involved in things. I like to get a, a dialogue going mm. and all of that type of thing, which you know, I think is really important. But I, I do actually know that sometimes it can, it, some students find that quite, uh, quite, quite, quite challenging. And I started to work with this, this, this group, of, uh, group of students, international students, and I said, right, okay, we're going we're to work on this particular problem and we're going to have a dialogue about it and we're going to, we're going to work our way through using some of the materials we've been talking, we've been working on. And uh, the, 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 the stony faces, the quiet stony faces that I was then faced with, it was, uh, it was quite extraordinary really, sort of nothing happened. Uh, sort of, and they looked, you know, they looked at their feet, they looked at each other and some of them even looked at me and it was as if I'd clearly done something, some terrible faux pas. Um, so and it felt too early to sort of ask what was the, what the dynamic was was going on in the room. Even using the word dynamic would have been a would have been something would have been wouldn't have been right. So I said, okay, what I'm going to do uh, is I'm going to leave the room. I'm going to leave the room and I'm going to come back in 25 minutes later, and I'm really interested to hear your ideas. So I went off, came back 25 minutes, and they done some really good work. Uh, so just being present uh, inhibited their ability to discuss. And they're probably asking, they're probably talking to, talking to each other about me and how, how bonkers I was and how, you know, we call this education. Um, so there's something really interesting about that. And <clears throat> so, so with these Chinese things, there's a, there, is a, there is something really important thing about face, isn't there? Mm. Uh, thing I think they call it, the issue of face. Not only the face of the students, but also the, the, the students in this particular case, ensuring the face of the, uh, maintaining the face of the, of, of the, of the teacher and the lecturer as well. Mm. Um, and, and, and clearly at that early point, that early stage, it was far, far too early to, 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 start, that, to start that process. We got there later on mm. and we had a discussion about what had gone on in that, in that particular incident. incident. <coughs> But what was really interesting was that, was that, you know, the 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 starkness of this of this event, uh, the striking moment. Um, so the issue of dialogue and monologue is very interesting, and the, the the point of trust that you get to, which again is something very interesting with Chinese students, isn't it? That sort of guanxi of of trust and relationships. The point that you get to where you can have those conversations and you move between monologue and dialogue you know is a, is a new or carefully nuanced one um i would agree i think uh, my experience of teaching a master's students last year um i think it was a one-to-one class was very difficult to, mm. to get to that point of a of a, a dual log and um would would i say we actually got there probably just mm. but it really was difficult um, uh, difficult in a nice constructive way because yeah. the student was um, was not a typical Chinese student, uh, and I hesitate to use the word Chinese student, but she she had been a student for much longer in the UK than many of them, yeah. 
um, coming on top-ups uh, and, and again by way of explanation a lot of students come here to do a third year top-up mm. but this particular student had been here for a couple of years uh, so even after a couple of years that sense that they would happily enter into a conversation was difficult mm. and was um, was a process that took some time mm. um, now I, I think I think that is not the same for some of our other international students from other countries. Yeah. And I think there's a range of possible factors or possible issues at play there. Mm. Um, I'm not sure I've got the sort of confidence to put my finger on any of them, but for example, um, the language I think is a significant one. Um, there's a South African student in the first year absolutely no issue with having a conversation um, and funnily enough today when I was asking for questions from groups to be asked to groups that have fed back a small presentation piece um, although that student is particularly quiet and somewhat reserved in class she was one of the ones asking questions quite mm. directly quite happily <coughs> to um, now I suspect if I'd have done that with a group of students from certain national cultures, yeah. that would have been far more challenging. Now yeah. I wonder whether that's a language issue. I'm not assuming that her first language is English, because it might well be Afrikaans, but yeah. clearly the, the knowledge and understanding and use of English is far higher than mm. it probably is for a student whose first language is one of, one of the many multiple Chinese dialects, possibly. One thing I didn't have noticed working with international students, all international students over, so I can think of several over, I've been working with at undergraduate level for a couple of years, and one in particular. How, how, it's, how enjoyable it is working with them to see their, their, their English and their means of communication improve. Um, that's yeah. really quite touching, I think. It's, it's touching, and I think hugely rewarding, isn't it, that you, you find yourself at the end of a three or four year programme where someone in the first year was maybe hesitant and maybe not mm. um, fluent necessarily, um, all of a sudden they have, not all of a sudden, but slowly and maybe slowly emerged yeah. to a point where suddenly they're able to submit their dissertation, make mm. their, uh, their final presentations in a way that would have been highly unlikely mm. three years earlier. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> one uh, student um, springs to mind, and one of the modules I teach on is uh, ethics and corporate responsibility, and she was from Japan, mm. and what was really interesting is that I guess they often come over here and, th and think and learn about Western ideas and all the rest of it, but one thing I really encouraged her to do is to say, okay, we're interested in ethics, we're interested in the subject of ethics, and I was also interested in a particular sort of perspective of ethics from uh, a Hegelian perspective on ethics. And I sort of encouraged her to think, well, what, what was it about her culture in Japan that she can draw connections mm. with, with some of the ideas of Hegel? And uh, she did a wonderful piece of work. And um, I encouraged her to talk with and present some of her ideas to the other students. Um, and I think that's a, you know I think when they come here, I think sometimes we forget 
or perhaps don't realise that they come with an awful lot of knowledge, culture that they can share. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and I think that's something that where we have the bigger groups of students from the same country in a class, that's the that's the opportunity really hmm. to. Um, not sure this is the right word, but kind of normalise the fact they're they're in the class with other students. Yeah. Um, just make it a somewhat natural part of the process and draw on those um, experiences or um, or backgrounds. Can I ask you a question? A no. dilemma. You can ask me no questions, Rob. You're not allowed to. <laughs> well, I shall. I shall. I shall pontificate about a dilemma that in general, <laughs> and then invite you to respond. So, class, group of 20 or 20, 20, 25 people, a third of which are, from in, are international students. What is the, what is the sort of uh, merits or otherwise of, of getting them thoroughly integrated with, the, with, with all of the other students? Or, or what, are, what are the merits or, or, or otherwise of, in the, of just getting them to work in their... By, by themselves. That is a dilemma, isn't it? Yeah. <coughs> um, the dilemma of integration or not. Yeah. Um, and whatever integration means or not. Um, I would be really reluctant to talk about merits or otherwise because I really don't know. Mm. Um, experiences to date are that... Students who are on their own, um, so for example, I've already mentioned one student today in terms of South African, I, I think, um, South African, uh, certainly there are Eastern European students in some of my classes in the first year, and they are in single units that yeah. are individual people yeah and they have been integrated and um, put into teams and groups not through any systematic process uh, by something by processes completely unrelated to nationality and uh, my sense is that that integration is working very well yeah. so far in contrast where there is a sizable cluster, uh, I think that's a much bigger challenge. Yeah. And the right number is really tricky to fix on because I think if you had, I don't know, a group, uh, a class size of 25 and you wanted five teams of five, let's say, and you had five international students from the same country, yep. what would you do? Would you put them in a team of five international students from their own country, or would you integrate them across the mm. five other groups? Um, I really don't know what I would do. Yeah. Um, we have a big cohort of Chinese students in one first year module, where they're not being asked to work in teams, but they all came in as a group. They all sat uh, in 
um, a similar location to each other across two tables and this was the first time we had this particular group of students in the room. We let them sit, and I say we, I'm co-teaching it with a colleague, we let them sit where they were because they were working individually and well, yeah. basically I, in a way um, I wanted to see what happened. Hmm. How that develops over the next few weeks um, I couldn't predict and I'm not going to predict but my hunch is that it will be very hard to try and get them to integrate with other groups of students. Yeah. No, yeah. That's my hunch. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, during induction week this year, when we had one of those induction games running on, uh, a couple of our Chinese students ended up working in a team with four, four very, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying this, four very laddish UK students. Okay. Um, and one of the laddish UK students did his very level best to integrate them into the activity. And I wasn't watching them all the time, I wasn't only focusing on them as a group, but it was fascinating to see this particular guy's attempt to converse and in, in, engage them. And then these two, uh, they were male Chinese students, um, failing to carry on that participation and engagement and in yeah. a way they withdrew themselves mm. to the edge of that group yeah and i suppose that worries me a little bit yeah but in the scope of the exercise i thought um i thought there was no harm done in letting it unfold to the end but where i am now teaching a large group of chinese students in and amongst a large group of uh, European UK students I think that is a dilemma of not quite answered hmm. perhaps we can return to this on another podcast well it might well be a this is what happened um, conversation I think um, I think it's a difficult difficult question yeah what would you do what would I do <laughs> I my, my instinct is to get everybody... It's this idea of a maximum mix. So when I get action learning groups together, I make the point about maximum mix uh, on all sorts of different criteria. <clears throat> on that situation you've just described, uh, particularly when they're quite new to the university, new to the country, I think one has to be quite sen sensitive. Mm. So uh, what I've done before is that once um, once people are settled in a little bit, I get them to work in either in project teams or strategy teams. I get them to, to mix up a little bit and ask them specifically, come up with a, a team name or a strategy team name, pay attention to the dynamics of how they are getting to know each other. So have that as part of the exercise. Mm. And I think you've got to build up a little bit of trust and, not, not, and, and knowing between the groups. And you've got to, it's, yeah. it's, it's a sensing thing as well, isn't it? You've yeah. got to sense when it's right. I think that's, that's a useful thing to, to consider because in this particular module, um, there, is a, there is an opportunity to, it's not kind of planned and committed to, there's an opportunity to, about two thirds of the way through, have that group activity in the classroom working yeah. on a particular 
particular set of tasks, probably quite similar to your strategy task in many ways. So I guess that is the moment at mm. which we as a teaching team, um, my colleague Chris and I turn around and say, well, actually, let's semi-integrate by shifting the, the shares around, the kibbutz, yeah. shifting the groups around. But I think it does require that sensing. Is it, is it right? Are yeah. they that comfortable? Um, and we shall see what happens. Mm, I look forward to hearing. <laughs> um, was there anything more to talk about in, in terms of other particular experiences from, from particular nationalities and national cultures? You, you touched on it a little bit already. But I, I wondered about that experience you had with the dialogue and the expectation of learning and teaching style and how that is somewhat different. Well, I was about to teach up in London. Um, we had more, more uh, international students. And uh, I remember once um, I was teaching in, in a group of about 20, um, some fella from uh, Siberia. And uh, again, it's one of these things about you having to get to know people. Mm. So on the one hand, you could I, I, I just assumed that he was just rather, perhaps rather grumpy and just like keep, keep keeping himself to himself. It must have something to do with the culture of uh, people from Siberia. But when I got to know him, he was an absolute hilarious hoot. He was really, really funny, extremely engaged, but that just didn't come across when you first met him. And... Um, <clears throat> Um, so yeah, it, it takes a lot to get to know people, mm. but with international students, particularly, it, it's it's worth it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile, but I suppose the expectation is, if I sort of read your comments correctly, is it might take a bit longer. Oh yeah, yeah, and it might take a bit more effort. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something that. If we have the luxury of time, we absolutely should do it. But yeah. maybe in the first modules, in the first year, we shouldn't necessarily have that halcyon golden days expectation that after three weeks we will be, you know, having a fantastic relationship with the <laughs> students. No, yes, yeah, exactly. There, there wasn't, you know, and I'm sure that there must be some people listening to this, or just hopefully some people listening to this and thinking. You know, here am I teaching people, you know, or lecturing to a hundred or two hundred. Yeah. This is this this is what we're talking about is fanciful, small group work. The fancy of small group work. Yeah. Okay. Um, were there any other points you wanted to discuss, particularly on the international front? I don't think so. I think there's the you know holding <coughs> holding a mirror up to ourselves. I, mm. I think we've talked about that and then we ventured off into various other different themes. Some of the practice-based implications of that, isn't yeah. it? Okay, well, on that basis, we'll close off this podcast, I think. And uh, series. And series. The series of six. Yeah. Um, we will, over the next few weeks, have a plan, I think, for Another six, unless, of course, Rob, you're just about to announce that you no longer want to do this anymore. I do want this to could be the public <laughs> announcement that there, there is no more working relationship and it's all over. No, this isn't going to be the <coughs> David Barry and the, uh, and the, uh, the, uh, the end of uh, 
whatever that band was that he was in, you know, on public. So no, I, I, there was no declarations of excellent attempt yeah. at a cultural reference there, Rob. We went spectacularly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you got any thoughts about what you want to do next? I want to talk about leadership, about leadership in higher education. That will get us fired if nothing else will. <laughs> So, <laughs> I had no idea this was part of your CV writing process. Yeah. Right. So, leadership in higher education. Yeah. Uh, well, I should I should think there'll be um, some interest, hopefully, from the readership and listenership from that because no doubt, no doubt, all of us have got experience of leadership in higher education. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Just something about technology. Now you're just scaring the living daylights out of me, aren't you? Yeah. Technology in learning and teaching? Yeah, something along those sorts of sorts of lines. Okay. What about you? What sort of subjects are you interested in? Ooh. I I would I would put a, a an extra tick by your leadership in, in HE and maybe yeah. what we could do <clears throat> is um, talk a little bit about uh, I think the organization of HE as a slightly follow-on activity rather than it's not the same thing but yeah leadership then the following or following podcasts might cover how HE is being organized that might just look a little bit more widely outside yeah. of a that sounds good of a, of a unit organization yeah. itself um, I would think we need to revisit international experiences update yeah so we'll come back to this idea of <coughs> teaching our international students in small groups um, and what we learn from that mm -hmm. I've got another one go on then um, first person inquiry Ooh. How we get uh, students to engage with the uh, with IME and the first person, okay, as a reflexive tool to uh, understand self. Um, fab, that's definitely one for Doctor Rob. Um, I think that. Did we, did we talk much about assessment in the first series? I think so. I think we, we talked about assessment. Don't you remember? No, I don't. <laughs> yes, we talked about assessment. We I did. Think. Yeah. Um, we talked about <coughs> creativity in assessment yeah. artefacts, didn't we? Yeah. Can we revisit assessment? We can. I think we should. And we are. Well, so can I say assessment mark two? Yeah. I do have another one. That'll be seven. Is that lucky? I'm not or sure. Was it, or is that magnificent? <laughs> Robert. There's something about the learning environment. The learning environment. Yeah. The actual physical space that and uh, virtual space now increasingly, I guess. You know, what is it that we... <clears throat> what the impact... Has about the physical space. Yep. Even just putting a, you know, getting rid of all 
classroom furniture and just having a circle of chairs and how that... Oh, the trauma of the circle of chairs. Yeah. Excellent. Um, we will put some pictures up online to illustrate what Rob means, I think. Um, that sounds like a good list of seven. Yeah. That should take us the academic year. Yeah, I think so. Right. Shall we close this particular yep. podcast down then? I think we've got the uh, listeners excited for next year. Yes, hopefully, hopefully the sound of my pen writing this down um, came across in the audio. Right, well thank you very much Rob. Yeah. Interesting thanks. as always and um, I look forward to uh, catching up on some of these and particularly the uh, leadership in higher education <laughs> once we've finished our CV writing. Perhaps... We should do leadership and education right at the end. Oh. So, so we've uh, we at least then we've. <laughs> this, this, this is why you're the reader in organisational behaviour. <laughs> I'm not. Great. Thank you very much. Goodbye.